Inomine Cinema e TV e Spiritus Streaming. Amen. Hey, Hollywood faithful, we are back with another episode and a holy shit confession. I'm your podcast priest, Jared Zamorthal. And I'm Megan Dane. And yeah, this week's confession is off the charts. It is from an actor who decided that they were going to break into Hollywood by any means necessary. And they did. (laughs) So real talk, JR, what is the craziest thing you've ever done to advance your career? Again, with the personal stuff, this is the Hollywood confessional, not the Megan and JR confessional. Dude, we can't expect Hollywood to tell us all their secrets if we won't share anything about ourselves. Okay, so come on, let's hear it. Interested listeners want to know. Okay, okay. This was on accident, but the first short film I ever made accidentally turned into a porn. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It happens to the best of us. It was a love story, and when I saw the first cut, it was a lot of bumping and grinding. (laughs) Oh my, God. okay, wait, so you're going to have to like, Tell a little bit more than that. Like, what was your, you wrote it, you directed it. What happened? I wrote it and believe it or not, the director did not even let me on set. Oh, damn. It was cold as ice. Oh, wow. And then you see that first cut and you're like, oh, well, here's the best part. (laughs) I had only been in L.A. about three years and I'm home for Thanksgiving break and I get an email from the director and it says, hey, check out the first cut of our short film. And I'm like, this is awesome. I'm here with my parents. I can show them. (gasps) No. Luckily for me, it was midnight. So everybody was already asleep. And all of a sudden I find myself at midnight in my childhood bed watching a (laughs) porn that I had written. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's too good. All right. I hope you're happy. Let's hear some of your dirty laundry. Oh, no, I don't. I don't talk about my shit. Oh, come on now. All right, all right, maybe after the confession. Well, then we better get into it. All right, let's step into the booth. Forgive me, Father, for I tried to make it as an actor by any means necessary. And things did not go the way I planned. Oh, no. Are we going to love or hate this story? My money's on hate, but there's only one way to find out. (laughs) When I was a teenager, the only thing I wanted to be was an actor. But in high school, I was never the lead. I was always small character actors. So I realized nobody was going to hand me anything in life. I was going to have to bulldoze my way in. Oh, hell yeah. Bulldozers (laughs) unite. When it came to apply for college, the only school I wanted to go to was I got accepted to the university, but my audition was so bad, they said, you can't come to the program. You can come to a different part of the university and re-audition next year. So I spent my entire freshman year interrogating everybody in I practiced two monologues for like eight months, and then I went in for my audition and I basically told the woman, am I in? And she was like, we'll let you know. I don't get in, I'll be stuck not being able to major in theater or having to start over again at another school. I was going to lose so many college years getting derailed. So I was just like, if you don't think I did a good job, I have 10 other monologues. You have to let me in. I'm not leaving this room. Low-key threats? Usually not the best career move. (laughs) Well, either that worked or I did a good job because they let me in. Oh, yay. Happy ending. I think we should just end the confession right here. But it gets so much better. 
I read once in Seventeen magazine that Leonardo DiCaprio had to do 100 auditions for commercials before he booked one. So that became my goal, to do 100 auditions. I got an internship at a commercial casting agency, and I started learning how all that stuff really works. Shout out to Seventeen magazine. (laughs) Nowadays, a lot of auditions are done by self-tape, but at the time, they were all in person. There were online systems like casting networks and LA casting and New York casting that agencies would get notices on and submit their clients to. Then at the audition, there'd be hundreds of people wearing like khakis and blue button downs for a Best Buy commercial. And there would be a simple sign in sheet. Like it was just a piece of paper. You could just sign in and then they'd call your name off the sheet. Next. So you didn't have to be submitted by an agent. You just had to know when and where to show up. Exactly. So the first audition I crashed was just a test to see if I could get in. I wasn't using any of the agency passwords yet. I was just going through papers and the garbage and writing stuff down. Wait, 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 wait. You went through the garbage to find an audition? It was clean garbage. (laughs) (laughs) Just paper, mostly. And I was just looking for an audition that was at a time I could go to. I didn't even know if there was a role for me. So when I got there, I was like, um, hi, I'm here for the, uh, young mom. (laughs) Oh, we did that this morning. I was like, oh. So then they said, fine, come on in. Oh my God. So you did it like carpe diem. I'm not sure I can condone this behavior. Luckily, it was pretty simple. Like I never crashed an audition that had really complicated sides. And a lot of it is improv, although they're not legally allowed to say improv because then it's like copyrighted material. And for anyone playing along at home who's not familiar with the term, sides are scene selections that actors are given to audition. Or not given. In the event that the audition is an impromptu performance, they legally can't call improv. (laughs) Right. Anyway, I didn't book that first commercial. Or several more auditions I crashed after that. Then, after I graduated, I ended up auditioning for a reality show for actors. Faye Dunaway was one of the judges. And one of the ways they would kick people off is Faye Dunaway would say... Don't call us. We'll call you. Aw. And they never called? I didn't even get that far. I was trying so hard to get on this show. I auditioned with all these other actresses, and I was like, these girls don't have shit. (laughs) (laughs) And then I didn't even get past step one. So I was like, wow, if I can't even get this, fuck it. I'm moving to L.A. The best place to go when you're feeling down. (laughs) I'm from I had always vowed never to move to L.A. Like, How can anyone live in that horrible, vapid city? But I was like, okay, I'm going. (laughs) (laughs) The first thing I did was line up a full week, like nine to five of casting workshops at this hotel in the Valley. I think casting workshops are illegal now, but back then you paid like 30 or 50 or a hundred bucks and you and about 20 other people would go into a room and meet with this casting director. The casting director passes out sides and it's like an audition. Only you're not auditioning for anything real. They're giving you old scenes. And they give you a few notes and you give them your headshot and your resume. And the hope is that they call you in for an actual role one day, like out of their files, which is like extremely rare. Right. (laughs) Pay to play, except you basically never get to play. Exactly. Well, I thought I got a little bit of cash. Let me just put it towards this and hope it works out. I knew it was like playing the lottery, but it's like once you've spent that money, you just try so hard to make it work. I ended up doing a full week of those workshops, and most of them were total bullshit. But toward the end of the week, one of the guys who was running the thing was like, I got leads on internships at a talent agency. Would anybody like an internship? I was like, get me one. (laughs) Oh no, here we go. I knew from my commercial agency experience that agencies had online accounts with access to audition information. So all I needed was the passwords. 
basically, I would go into these internships. I would kind of look around and see, like, usually people put the password on a sticky note on their computer or something. One internship in one of those, like, tall buildings in Century City, I was able to get the password within, like, my first two hours of being there. And these are unpaid, not for credit. It's technically illegal em- employment. So at lunch, I just told them I was sick and never went back again. This is the most amazing story I have ever heard. Not that we're promoting this behavior as a way of breaking into the industry. No, no, totally not. I mean, we're not even actors. But if we were actors, maybe? You think it would work for writers? I'd be down to do a two-hour internship and find out. (laughs) There were some days where I had no password, and I would just go from casting office to casting office with this bag full of different clothes. I had, like a bad girl outfit in my bag. I had a nerdy secretary, like a cardigan and glasses. And I would just make the rounds over and over and look to see who's in the waiting room and if I could see the sides on the wall. And that is how I booked a national commercial for No (laughs) way. Mm Mm-hmm. At the time I booked that commercial, I was living in a windowless, ventless room on I'd booked a few things by this point already, but it wasn't enough to make a living. So I was also waiting tables. I was doing photography, like... Basically, right when I started doing commercials, I was like, oh, I can buy a camera. And I started taking people's headshots as a side business. So I was doing all that. And I was hostessing at restaurant. And one day I got a call that I had booked a national. But a few hours later, they called back. They were like, actually, we're not sure you booked this because you're not in the union. How did you find out about this audition? So the thing is, when you sign in, you have to sign in who reps you. So I had just made something up, like (laughs) this fake management company name. (laughs) So when they asked me how I found out about the audition, I said, I was just in the waiting room and somebody called me in. They were like, who? And I was like, I don't know, some white guy. There's always a million white guys running camera for these things. So they were like, we'll have to call you back. And for the next few hours, I was like, oh, my God, I lost it. But I think they liked me because eventually they called me back and gave me the job. And that's how I got into the union. Oh, my God, that's insane. It was. And it keeps getting better. Like, one day I got to set on another national and there was this girl who was my arch enemy in high school. We both grew up right outside And I mean, this girl, like, ruined my life in high school. I was there as a principal, and she was on set as an extra. Yes, revenge. I love it. (laughs) She was literally on top of me the whole time, like, trying to cross behind me so she could get an upgrade. Because extras, if you see their face, they get an upgrade. She was just trying like fucking hell. Same way I tried to crash all those auditions. Everyone is just, like, clawing their way to get an inch further than they were before. It's insanity. So what was your goal during all this? Were you, like, trying to make some money? Did you want to be famous? I think every actor wants to be famous at some point in their life. But the only person I knew of who'd gotten famous from commercials was the progressive girl. So I didn't think fame was going to come through commercials. I just needed money. I wanted to get into a room with windows. (laughs) Heard that. (laughs) Eventually, I started getting the theatrical passwords. That was a whole different game. You can't crash theatricals, films and TV shows. So when I got those passwords, I'd find out what auditions were happening. I would immediately run over to the studios and I would call some lowly producer that was on the breakdown. Like I would start with the bottom name and I'd say, hey, I'm calling with a delivery for so-and-so. I have perishable goods. Do you want them or not? And they would get me a drive on. Oh my God. Did you actually have anything to deliver? Of course I did. It was usually like bottles of apple cider that looked like champagne. 
And I made special labels with my headshot and the nutritional facts had my resume. (laughs) Oh my God, I really want one of those bottles. Special edition, come on. Believe it or not, I actually did get a couple of auditions this way, but it was so much work. Getting onto the lot at the right time. Like as soon as the breakdown would come out with something I was right for, I'd be like, boom, get me over there. I had agents by this time, but the agents were not getting me through. So I was like, I need to go straight to casting. I must have done it like a hundred times. But then around age 30, I started getting fed up with acting, the grind, just all of it. I'd made it into a new apartment by this time. Yay, windows! Yeah, it was great. Uh, But then one day my apartment got burglarized. I remember it was raining. I'd gone out for a cup of coffee and someone swooped in with a key. Apparently they had a deal with maintenance, copying keys and giving them to who knows who. They took clothes, shoes, jewelry, bags. They took my computer, my cameras, and they also took all my hard drives. So every photo I'd ever taken, every video, it was all gone. I didn't have anything backed up on the cloud. Everything on my laptop and hard drive was just gone forever. And I became so depressed after that. I started missing auditions because I was like, I don't think I can leave the house. It's like car accidents happen, disease happens. But this was like such a vicious, malicious thing. It made me moody and introverted and suspicious. Sometimes I would just break down in tears. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I went to the shrink or whatever, some quack doctor after the burglary in some really weird office. And he was like, What are you eating and drinking every day? And I was like, well, I'm having one cup of coffee and one beer and no food and no water. And I'm taking like seven showers a day. And I'm just a shell of a person not sleeping. Jesus. Yeah, I remember like the feeling of getting a new computer and opening it up to like get down to business and just being like, what? It's empty. It's an empty computer. What am I supposed to do with this? Eventually, I realized the thing I was most upset about wasn't that I'd lost my reel or videos of me. It was that I'd lost the photos I'd took. All this time, I'd just been doing photography as a side gig, but it turned out that was the thing I cared most about. And I realized the only way to take the significance off of that loss was to create photos that were so much better than anything I had already lost. So that really propelled me to grow as a photographer, fast. People started noticing and saying stuff like, what are you up to? Your work is off the charts. You're like exploding with the quality of your work and your creativity. Like, did you take a class? Do you have a mentor? And I was like, oh no, I just thought if I didn't do it, I would kill myself. And they were like, oh, that's dark. Photography gave me a sense of control and creativity. That was really the only thing I could do during that time was just take pictures. Think of things to take pictures of. I started blowing off auditions because I was just like, do I care about being in a commercial for herpes medicine? Or do I care about making art that I'm actually proud of and excited by? Eventually I was like, let me do an experiment where I just see what happens if I only focus on photography for a full year. And then once I put my full heart behind it, it exploded. My first year doing photography full-time, I pulled in six figures. And from then on, I pretty much never looked back. That's amazing. So inspiring. We've talked a little before about the stigma against making different career choices in Hollywood. Like if you decide you don't want to do something anymore, it means you failed. And that's just completely untrue. Yeah, I think if this story tells us anything, it's that you can stop doing the thing that grinds you down and start doing something else that makes you happy. Because when shit goes wrong, you realize that's really all that matters. Why, yes, I think that's exactly what this story is telling us. (laughs) You shut up. (laughs) 
Back to you, confessor. I did go back to acting briefly. A couple of years ago, I made like a spoof video for my photography business. I did a good job, but I was like, man, I don't miss acting. It's so hard. I have such great respect for actors. Like, I feel for them, but I don't know how I did it for as long as I did. You clearly have an incredible amount of hustle and drive. So as you were out hustling for all these auditions, you just transferred that hustle into something else that you loved more. And that's the dream right there. Keep creating in peace, my child. Also, if you have any more tips on ways to break in... Don't tell us until we've cut the mic. We're keeping those secrets for ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) I want to be this confessor when I grow up. Dude, I feel like if I had half this person's courage, I would be rich and famous by now. Okay, so the craziest thing you've ever done to promote your career. I was really hoping you'd forget. A good priest never forgets. (laughs) All right. Okay. So here's my confession. Honestly, I feel pretty shitty about this. And I didn't realize how shitty until I heard this confessor tell their story. Um, And the real answer, the craziest thing I have ever done to promote my career is nothing. Oh, shit. Yeah, like I said, I, I don't feel good about this. And it feels even worse saying it out loud, even just to you, you and me sitting here by ourselves, but much less to all of our hundreds of thousands of listeners. Maybe you don't have to worry about that one just yet. (laughs) Well, anyways, it's true. In the beginning of my career, when I first started trying to figure out how to become a big fancy Hollywood screenwriter, I tried to do everything right. I was always just super focused on what other people seemed to like and what they seem to think was the right thing to do. Like you have to format your script in this way and you have to present yourself like this and don't be a pest and don't be a poser and follow all these rules. And it was like, as if breaking into Hollywood was some kind of test and I was just going to like study hard enough and then I would memorize all the right answers and then I was going to ace it. And that mindset took over everything I did and it affected my writing and the decisions that I made. And Kind of like um, our confessor was saying a couple weeks ago in the comeback, I was so focused on trying to do the perfect thing all the time that I screwed myself in a lot of ways. I didn't take some of the big shots that I could have taken, and I didn't take any risks with my writing or with my career. And that's one of the things that now all these years later, I'm still trying to come back from. I'm still trying to learn how to open up and be braver and take more risks like our confessor did this week. I think that's one of the hardest things that not a lot of people talk about uh, when we talk about our journey in and through Hollywood. It's that there's no roadmap. And so you really don't know what you don't know until you get there. That's right. And we are... Well, I say we, um, people with <laughs> personalities like mine are trying really hard to know, like we're kind of thinking, all right, I can just figure this all out. Right. And if I can just figure it out, then I'll get there. And I think the, the urge to figure it all out and to know a path is completely normal, but it also Um, it can really restrict you and you end up trying to follow a path that then years later you find out doesn't exist. You don't give your soul the freedom to like grow and express itself, I guess, in the most um, intimate ways, which is what 
ultimately we want to do. And that's a really, really scary thing to do. For me, it's been really important to try to learn how to find the courage to do that. I think that's really amazing. I think finding that courage is the whole trick of lasting in this industry. Yeah, see, you're trying to know things again. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody cuts the same path through the forest, unfortunately, I guess. That's right. We all got to hack our way through on our own. Like, give me a machete. (laughs) I'm I'm ready to get started here. (laughs) And on that journey, you know, this industry is full of people who take advantage of dreamers. So it's understandable that sometimes we end up focused on protecting ourselves from bad elements. Somebody has to do it, and we're the only ones that can. But I think the ideal scenario is for people who are in a position of a certain amount of power, or at least stability, to look out for the dreamers on their way up, to create space where those people can feel free to take their shot. Which brings us to our shout out for today. Right. As most of you guys know, every episode we try to do a shout out to either an individual or an organization, a group of people that's taking action to make Hollywood a happier place. And by the way, if you know somebody who's doing that, please let us know on Twitter or Instagram at FessUpHollywood. We would really love to share it with the world. Today's shout out comes to us from a listener in the world of animation. They wanted to shout out an animation and VFX industry titan, Rose Dagny. Rose Dagny has an incredible resume of credits, starting with the miniature and optical effects unit on the original Star Wars A New Hope, the original Battlestar Galactica, Terminator Salvation. She was a visual effects executive producer on Avatar, Iron Man 2, The Last Airbender. She's basically a titan of animation in VFX, and now I'm learning a huge part of my childhood. (laughs) And... She is the key word here. The listener who shouted her out says that animation has tended to be historically a very, shall we say, unfemale friendly pursuit. What a euphemism. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But Rose fought her way to the top through a minefield of sexism and discrimination. Now she uses her position to promote and protect up and coming creators. Here's what our listener had to say about Rose. She's always been the pillar that people looked up to when they feel somebody is taking advantage of them. She's always stood up for the people that weren't being paid attention to. She's just consistently good and consistently unafraid to say what's right. She will always be the gnat in the ears of people who are being shitty until they pay the fuck attention. And she isn't afraid to take them down. I think Rose is the person I want to be when I grow up. We can learn a lot from her and our confessor today. What do you think, listeners? What are your takeaways from these freedom fighters? Better yet, what is the craziest thing you've ever done to promote your career? Feel like getting it off your chest? Your secret's safe with us. Hit us up on socials at FessUpHollywood. And share the podcast with a friend or two while you're at it. Movements grow by word of mouth. We're trying to make Hollywood a happier place. Let's bring some more people along for the ride. That's all we got this week. Thank you so much for joining us. We will see you on socials. Until next time when we'll be hearing... uh, JR, what are we doing next up? Oh, it's a good one. The sellout. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Got a lot to learn from that confessor, too. Had a sellout for huge amounts of money. Yes. <laughs> Talk soon, faithful. Go create in peace. The Hollywood Confessional is produced by Megan Dane and J.R. Zamorathal. Our cast for this episode, Claire Gruber, Austin Windham, Amy Backlini. Special effects provided by Zapsplat and Pixabay. Hollywood Confessional is a Ninth Way Media production. Follow us on socials at Fess Up Hollywood. <laughs>